Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Last Sunday, we introduced to all of you our Saturate Vision. And this vision is going to go on for the next five to six years where we really feel that God has given us a direction for us to go to as a church. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that in a church, there's different seasons. When we first started the church in 2015, we were in just in the beginning of just building relationships because there was nothing here, at least what we were trying to do. Uh, and because of that, we were just building relationships on the university campuses and some of the alumni that were here. And then from there, we just started seeing life group begin to form. And then we began to scaffold and start building our church. Now we are on six universities out of the eight that are official universities, recognized universities here in Hong Kong. So now we're entering into a whole new stage as we see many more people graduating, many more people sticking around. We have different families and different people who are joining us. So because of that, we are entering into a different stage and a phase of our church. And it's going to change another three years, another five years, maybe another 10 years. We're going to be at different stages. All of you will be at a different stage. Hopefully you'll be married. Can I get a good amen to that? Okay, we have a lot of people who don't want to get married. It's okay, that's all right. So hopefully some of you in the next five to ten years will be in a different life stage. And you will experience different things. So because of that, we need to understand what it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us about. What is it in our hearts that he's put in there? to say, this is what I desire for you as HMCC here in Hong Kong. What is it that you, I'm calling you to do? And this is why the executive team and I, we've been in prayer and we've been asking God to speak to us. And next week we have some uh, news to share with you. There's a lot of things going on. We really need a lot more prayer. We're asking you, all of us to be in prayer. That's why every single Sunday we're going to try to take one of those letters and spend some t- time together praying for we're going to find different ways to do it but we want this to be on the forefront of your minds because it's going to be very important for us to journey together to get to the place that god wants us to go so the saturate vision just for refresher and those of us who are here for the first time uh it's up here so it's simply this it is to saturate hong kong with the knowledge of god's glory And we're getting this, and I'll explain a little bit more later in uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Many of you studied this uh, this past week in Life Group. But we're trying to saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of God's glory by living out the kingdom lifestyle. You cannot saturate Hong Kong with the kingdom principles and the kingdom of God values unless we ourselves are living it out. Not just in our schools, but many of you who are working even in your families, you have to live out the kingdom values. This is the reason why if there's ever a complaint from the pre-Christians, those who do not go to church who are not believers, is we have too many hypocrites in the church. And I would simply say I have no disagreements with them. The problem is there are many of us here who just go to church on Sundays and we think we're good. But all through Monday through Saturday, you are the captain of your own ship. Think about all the decisions that you make. Think about all the different things that you do 
that does not reflect the kingdom lifestyle. Now, as many of you know, you, we're not going to be perfect. But there is something that indicates the heart that desires to obey God and to live out the kingdom values that we see in Scripture. And I'll explain a little bit more about that as we talk about the F and the I this morning. So we want to be able to saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of the glory of God. And the way we're going to saturate it is when we have people of God who are living out the kingdom lifestyle. Not only the kingdom lifestyle, but they are actually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just sharing, but you are proclaiming, you are heralding this good news. And this is what I've been challenging some of you. If, if you're here coming on Sunday, want to hear a nice message to make you feel good, this is the wrong church. I'm going to speak the truth according to God's word. And it, depending on where your heart is at, that's how you're going to receive it. I'm telling you right now, some of us are awesome. You, you, you share the gospel almost every single day. Whenever you have an opportunity, you share about your life, about how Christ is significant in your life. He guides you in the decisions that you make. The things that you think about is about the kingdom. And keep on doing that. There are many of us, I would say, that do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not good news to you. So whether you are concerned about how you look, you are concerned about what people will think of you, you're concerned about maybe you won't get that promotion, you might lose your job, that you value something more than the kingdom of God. That for whatever reason, even this past week, you have not once proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're going to saturate Hong Kong, we need people of God who are followers of Christ, disciples, who will proclaim boldly the gospel message because that is the only way people are going to see and understand and be aware and have the knowledge of the glory of God. So we're trying to saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of the glory of God as we live this kingdom lifestyle and by proclaiming this gospel so that we can make disciples, Christ's disciples, of all nations. And as we do that, we're going to do it here locally. We're going to do it regionally throughout Asia. And we will do it globally. This is our vision. And that is why we believe this is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one year. That's why we are looking ahead into the future and say for the next five to six years, closer to six years, we're going to journey on this so that we can see Hong Kong being saturated with the knowledge of the glory of God. Because there are people in this room who want to live out the kingdom lifestyle by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're committed to making disciples, Christ's disciples of all nations. And they're going to do it both regionally, or locally, regionally, and then ultimately throughout the whole world, globally. That is what we're about. And I want to break it down as best as possible. That's why we're going to try to do this so that we could kind of marinate on these things. We could chew on it and try to process it. That's why we're going to be talking about this in our life groups. That's why life groups are very important. I'll explain about that today. 
that you cannot just hear a message on Sunday and assume that you got it because you won't. It is very difficult. Those of us who have been to school or you are in school, you know you can sit in a lecture and you totally forget about what it is, the formula, whatever the case may be. That's why they have labs. That's why they have homework. That is to help you to process. And we're hoping that in your life group that you could process it together with people that you're on this journey with. The vision, as we shared, is rooted in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The last portion is a metaphorical language of saying that God's glory is going to be so expansive, so deep, that it's going to feel like this whole area is being covered with water, like just when you look out into the sea. Some of you know I live on the east side of Hong Kong, and uh, we have one other person there, so praise God, let's fellowship later, but... uh, Like every morning, I could open my window, I, I see the seat. And one of the rooms is kind of like my office or study, and I can look out and I can see the seat. And so even this verse, when you look out into the sea, you realize, wow, as this whole area has been covered with water, what would it be like if all of Hong Kong is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God? That's why I looked at different translations and look at what it says in a couple other translations. In the Amplified, it says, but the time is what is coming. That means that it hasn't arrived yet. That means that the whole earth is not filled with his glory and the knowledge of his glory. It hasn't happened yet, but it's, it's coming. It's, it's going to happen because God's will always prevails. And that there will come a time where every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you like it or not, there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So a time is coming. That means that we're not there yet. We're going to keep on every day that passes by. We're getting closer and closer. There's a time that is coming when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Here's another translation. It says this in the Living Bible. Say say the yellow section with me. The time will come. Once again, it's in the future, and it's coming. When all the earth is filled, as the waters fill the sea, and an awareness of the glory of the Lord. So knowledge, it's not just head knowledge. There's going to be this great sense of awareness of who God is, being able to experience His glory, It is going to fill the earth. And that's why as a church, we want to humbly depend on God and pray that he will use us by his grace to saturate Hong Kong with this knowledge or awareness of the glory of God in the next six years. We're also praying that God will help us to live this kingdom lifestyle that will be much different from what the world does So they will say, something's different about you. We're praying with God's help that we will proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. As he first saved us, 
He's going to save others. So we, we believe that by faith. And also we're praying that it will not just be here in Hong Kong as it saturates, but we want to, we want to see this happen throughout Asia and throughout the world or whatever country that you might be from. As you've already heard, this vision, we broke it down into four components. If you just say saturate Hong Kong, it doesn't really, it's too big. You don't, you don't even know what that looks like. So in order to fill Hong Kong or saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of the glory of God, we are in, we're committing and we are endeavoring together to accomplish these four areas, these four things that we want to see. And we've been using the acronym F-I-L-L just to fill Hong Kong or saturate Hong Kong with the glory and knowledge of the glory of God. The first one is foundations. We cannot saturate Hong Kong with anything unless we have a strong foundation. This is what we're going to be talking about for the next six some years. So if you're not serious about growing in your spiritual walk with God, you're going to have a very difficult time. If you don't want your issues addressed, you're going to have a very difficult time for the next six years or however long you're going to be here. If you want to just coast through life and continue to be the person that you are, that you were for many years, and you just don't want to change, you're going to have a very difficult time for the next six years. I'm just telling you ahead of time. Because when we go into the foundations, this foundation has to be strong. It doesn't matter how good the building looks. If the foundation is not strong, it will crumble. Some of you, your foundation has not been built well. It is not strong for various reasons. Maybe some of it, no fault to your own. But we want to help build that foundation in your walk with God. Because that's where it all starts. If your heart is not transformed, if your life has not been completely radically turned around because of the gospel message, you will have a difficult time as we journey for the next six years together. We're going to talk about some of the basic core of who we are as a church, why we believe in these things, and why we're going to keep on doing it no matter what. Because these are values for us. This is who You take these away, you don't have our church. You have a different church. This is who we are. This is what we value. So foundation, we want to make sure that we establish that well. The I is for impact. And we're going to be talking about how do we impact the different spheres around us and even in our communities. So I'll talk about that today. And then we're going to talk about the L, which is to link up, because we believe that we cannot try to do things by ourselves. We're going to link up together with different life groups, different micro churches across the life stages so that we can actually target some of the 18 districts that are in Hong Kong. We want to be able to serve and love some of these communities. We want to pinpoint some of the needs that are in these communities so that it will be a better place before we got there. Does that make sense? No, that we will make it a better place than what it was before we got there. So we're going to be praying that we can link up together. Why? Because when we start linking up together in different life groups, then that's how that's going to be the basic DNA of starting churches and different sites around Hong Kong. We're going to be clustering people together. 
That's why even as we're thinking about the future and thinking about church plants in different global cities around the world, we are watching carefully to see what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to do. Because some of you are from specific countries. You didn't even know each other before you came to Hong Kong. But here you are. And you're from the same country or the same city. What would it be like if your hearts were set on fire, you got a vision for the kingdom of God, and then God calls some of you to go back to your home country and to start a movement or start a church or a micro church there so that you can bless even that particular country and that particular place of the world. The other L is we're going to talk about launching. We want to pray and God will help us to launch a transformation hub. This is where we're going to do a lot of the missions work that's going to be more regional and more global. And I'll talk more about that next week. Uh, I'm going to try to give as, as many specifics as I can. I don't want to be nebulous about this stuff. I don't want to talk about things in just theoretical. Because some of these things, we need to have something tangible. Some of these things, we don't have everything figured out yet. So we're going to be journeying together, listening to God. And so that hopefully he will lead us as we come together and pray and seek his face. So today I want to elaborate more on the first two letters. The foundation and the impact. And how those two things will help us to saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of God's glory. As we have people who live out the kingdom lifestyle and proclaiming the gospel message. So that disciples more disciples can be made from all nations so we can reach things locally, regionally, and globally. So today, as I talk about these two things, I want to remind us of this one thing that I, I think is going to be the underlining thread that will go through these two things, the foundation and impact. And it's simply this. That if we're going to see life transformation, the gospel must be our foundation. For the sake of being clear, I think for many of us, we think the gospel is Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died for my sins. He rose again from the dead. And I receive him as my Lord and Savior. So that is the gospel. To you, I would say, yes, but not fully. And this is the reason why those of you who grew up in the church, your Christianity is so specifically isolated to your own little world. And that is why it is not making a difference in your life, regardless of what life stage you're in. And my challenge to you is this, unless this gospel message not only affects every single part of your life, your thinking, your emotions, your decisions, the volition of the will, and unless you see the gospel holistically from Genesis all the way through Revelation, all I can say to you is that that gospel, that you, whatever it is that you believe in, it is not going to make much of a difference. Not only in you, but it's not going to make much of a difference in your relation with your friends, with your family, 
with your coworkers, and even in the neighborhood or the city that you live in. Hopefully, I can explain to you why I believe that. That if your gospel is too small, that it's all about just receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's how you understand the gospel. You are going to be very inward focused, and you are going to miss out in the greater message that God has from Genesis all the way through Revelation. So if you're going to see life transformation in, in every single one of us and in this city, then we have to make sure that the gospel is our foundation. So let me talk about the foundation. I think as we're talking about satur saturating Hong Kong with his glory, I want to show you this quick video because I think this will help us. This video was actually made for children. So if you don't get it, then I don't know what to say to you. I love you. We'll just pray for you. This video was made for young people, little children, to help them to understand God's purposes. To help them to understand what is God doing and what does he want me to do. It's trying to introduce concepts like the purposes of God. It's trying to introduce concepts like discipleship. How do you, how do you say discipleship? How do you teach discipleship to little kids? And as I saw this video, I, I thought they did a, a really good job. It was very simplistic, very generic. But if you're only a seven years old or maybe like nine years old, you'll get it. And so I'm hoping that all of us will get it. If you're still confused, don't worry. Just come up afterwards. We'll pray for you. We'll love on you. I'm, I'm confident. I am so confident We'll all get it. It's simple enough. So the question is, what is the purposes of God and why is discipleship so important to achieving God's purpose? So let's watch the video together. Amen. So simple that a child can understand. That's why he saved you. That's why he died on the cross. And how this person illustrated by making all these little figures that you want to share it with somebody else so they can share it with somebody else, so they can share it with somebody else. And you see people from all different colors, all different backgrounds, all together because of Jesus. I don't know what it is that you're doing in your life right now. Some of you, it might be a mundane life. You get up in the morning, go to class, study, come back. Some of you are working. You get up, go to work, do your thing behind your computer. You try not to steal the post-its and the pen. And then you come back, maybe relax a little bit, however you relax. Some of you with families, maybe you're struggling with a busy day with children, whatever it may be. But I want to challenge every single one of us here, and myself included. Is there ever a time when you just get up in the morning and you are clear on your purpose and why you are here on this earth? That you live this day with a tremendous sense of purpose that if you were to die tonight, you could stand before God and say, I've done everything you've called me to do. You are not going to live forever in this world. 
Some of you are pouring your whole life into something that will not amount to much. Some of you are not pouring into some things that are very important, that you should be pouring yourself into. And so when you think about the foundations, the thing that we want to try to help all of us here to grow in, it really comes back down to our relationship with God. So that you could connect with His purposes of what He's already doing and what He has done, what He's already doing and He's doing right now, and what He will continue to do with you or without you. And that you will get on with God's program, His agenda. Because if you don't, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be the most miserable person. You can have all the money in the world, but you will be unhappy. You can have all the friends in the world, but you'll still be lonely. If you continue to promote your own agenda and what you want to see and what you want to bring about, I'm telling you right now, if it is not aligned with God's purposes, many of us in this room are going to struggle, no matter how successful you look on the outside. That's why for us, I think when we talk about foundations, we've got to get back to one of the clearest passages that sums up everything in Scripture. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. Many of you know this passage. I hope some of you have memorized it. When we talk about foundations, when we talk about the purposes of God, this one verse, this passage will help to encapsulate the very thing that we all need to not only know, but we need to believe and then act upon faith. Listen to what it says here. This is Jesus speaking to one of the teachers of the law. He was like a lawyer, and he wanted to trap Jesus. And he was asking Jesus, out of all the laws, there's Ten Commandments, but there are many other laws that the Moses and some of these other Pharisees, they have put forth. Which of, this law, which of these laws and commandments are so important? Because if he said this is more important than this, then they could find a way to then say that you're not really the rabbi that we thought you were. So they were trying to trap him. And listen to how Jesus responds. And he, being Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, and this is important, on these two commandments depend all the law, every single one, that on these two commandments that I just gave you, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second one is similar where you got to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, Every single law you ever read, every single law that you've ever heard of, what he's simply saying is that it depends on these two commandments that I just gave you. Not only the law, but the prophets, those who spoke on behalf of God. All the words of wisdom, all the prophetic words of prophecy that were going to come forth. He says it is summarized in these two. So we are challenged to love God with everything that we have. I think a better translation comes from Luke 
chapter 10, verse 27, where Jesus taught the same thing and he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So there is no escaping. It's not just with your mind. It's not just with your soul. It's not just with your heart, but even the strength that God affords you that you ought to love God. It really comes down to understanding that everything that we have and everything that we are is because of God. The reason why we cannot love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves is because we forget that everything that we have and everything that we are is because of God and only God. And he gave it to us so we could glorify him. So that the knowledge of the glory of God can be displayed. So not only are we called to love God with everything that we have, just from this passage, but the second part, don't forget that part, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus knew the human heart. Because he understood how self-centered and selfish we normally are in everything we do. You could be as altruistic as possible. You could be the nicest person. But a lot of times, whenever I meet nice people, they're nice because they want acceptance. They want someone to like them. There's some really altruistic, really philanthropic people. But all I can say is sometimes, because we're depraved in our hearts, we do things trying to be nice, trying to love people, because we might want something back. So he knew the heart of the human being. And that's why he says, you know how to love yourself. Because it's easy to say, I cannot love this person. But we all know how to love ourselves. Because we're self-centered, we're selfish. We want things for ourselves, we want what's comfortable. So he uses, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because we know how to love ourselves in that way. Now, I, I will have to give a little caveat here. There are some of you that do not love yourself. You hate yourself. You've been brainwashed, taught by your parents or bullies or people, experiences that you've had, that you're unworthy, that you don't matter much. And somehow you believe that lie and it's been deeply rooted in your heart and in your life that everything that you do, you're trying to find sense of significance and worth. And you find it in friends, you find it in the things that you do, you try to find it in everything else that will disappoint you. And that's why you're constantly in this vicious cycle over and over again. Because the only way you can find genuine worth is from the person who made you, and that is from God. And the more you understand who God is and what he has done, and he has created you in your mother's womb, and you understand the value of that, you're going to keep on searching, keep on seeking. So these two commandments, which is known as the greatest commandment, loving him with everything we got, loving people around us, because we know how to love ourselves. And this is why I think we got to pause here and ask, is this foundational truth deeply embedded in everything that you do? It's for God and so that you can love people that might need to hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Can you imagine what will happen to your life, our life groups, our church, our city, even this world? If you and I, we lived our lives loving God in this way and loving others around us, even though they're hard to love, for us to love people. Let me give you two other verses as we kind of break this down about the foundation. So we want to focus in on just loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. But let me give you two other verses that will help coalesce these things together so that you can have a better idea why this foundation is critical to everything else we're doing. Two other verses. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Some of you know this passage. This is what the Word of God says. And he, being Jesus, said to them, them being the first followers, the disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What we notice is that Jesus is simply inviting Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen, to come and to follow him. The thing that I want you to understand is that Jesus is simply giving an invitation. And that's the thing that Jesus is giving to us, an invitation to follow him. Not following a leader, not following like somebody else, even though they might be worthy of following. But it is important that we see this as we follow Jesus more than anyone else in this world. The reason why some of us get so disappointed is that you put all your hopes and all your dreams on a person that will disappoint you. That's why the invitation is ours to receive, to follow Jesus. The second thing that I want you to notice here is that Jesus now gives them a new purpose. Because earlier in verse 18, we see that Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. That's why Jesus says that now I'm going to make you fishers, not of fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of what? People. Part of, part of the foundation that we need to understand and grow more and more in is learning how to obey Jesus in the invitation that he gives us, and to follow him and live out the calling of catching people. That's part of our calling. That's part of what it means to follow Christ. And the famous passage that all of you know very well in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, I'll read it quickly here. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The verb, the key verb here is not go, but it's to make disciples. All the other things are participles to help support so that as I am going to work, as I'm going to school, as I'm going back home, as I'm going... I am making disciples. And what does he say? The thing that I always try to help us to understand is I hope you notice is not just making disciples who are similar to you. Now, there's a place in time where a church can get started because of a language issue. 
There's a time and place, especially in some of these unreached places, where you go and you assimilate to their culture and so that you can share the gospel in a way they understand. But the key thing that I want you to note here is that you don't just disciple people who are similar to you, but it says all nations. This is the reason why we have an international church. When I was younger, when I was a youth pastor, I was part of a Korean-American church. And I remember, I mean, I was getting ordained in this Korean-American denomination where they all spoke Korean. And then that's when I got launched off and I started this church along with my wife. We started this in 1996. And all I knew is when I think about my life, all throughout college, even junior high even, and high school, and just even throughout college, God brought so many different types of people in my life, not just Koreans. Even the people I spent time with discipling in college. Some of them were half black and half Puerto Rican. There were people who were from the Filipino background. There were people who had lighter hue, lighter color, so they were white. God brought all these different people, and something inside of me said, if I just reach out to only Koreans, something's not right here. That's why when I got ordained in that denomination, that's where my ordination from, the KAPC, the Korean American Presbyterian Church, when we started the church, we started raising up more pastors. And one of the pastors we raised up was a white dude. Now, I will give him, at that time, he wasn't there yet, but he ended up marrying a Korean-American. So praise God, maybe he has a little bit of that Asian-ness there. And then he went to our church where there was predominantly a lot of Asian, pan-Asian. But the thing was that when I thought about him, as he felt this call to become a pastor and do ministry, I realized that I want to ordain this guy, but my thought was this. Is he going to stand in front of all these like 60, 70-year-old men only speaking Korean? And what is he going to do? The Korean that he learned from Netflix, from the Korean drama, what is he going to do? And that's when it dawned upon me, I cannot in good conscience be in this denomination where it's mostly or if not all Koreans. And that's when I went on this journey to find a denomination. That's a whole separate story in and of itself. But the point I'm trying to make is this. If you only reach out to people who are very similar to you, I'm telling you right now, you will not be able to make disciples of all nations. You could look it into the Greek. You could look at a hundred different translations. If you're not making disciples of all nations, whoever God brings into your life, and you only like to hang out with people that are mostly comfortable to you, that I don't believe you understand the Matthew chapter 28, which is the great commission that God gives, because His heart is for the nations. That's why we will forever have an international church. Because I believe gathering people from all different nations is a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, worshiping our God. Now, please, once again, don't misunderstand me. 
There will be times when you might have to use a certain language to reach out to a certain people. There might be certain cultural things that you could reach out to certain people faster, but you might not be able to do it in others' context. I get that. But our hearts should always be bent towards how do we reach the nations. You will also notice that Jesus gives us insights of how to make disciples. So if his greater plan is for us to love him and to love people, and then he's given us this invitation and this calling to be fishers of men and women, and we do that through the great commission of all nations, it's interesting that he gives us a little window of how to do it. And what do we see here? We see that we're supposed to baptize them. Simply what that means is that, that we need to evangelize. We need to share the gospel with them. You only baptize those who have put a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So it, it's, I, I want to be very clear. This is not a suggestion. Uh, if you want to be a good Christian, then you can do this. No. As soon as you become a Christian, this is what you got to do. But pastor, I don't really know theology. It doesn't matter. This is a command from God. Unless there's a, go back to that verse in Matthew chapter 20. Unless there's a hyphen or something in the Greek that says only when you're three years old as a Christian, then you could do it. As soon as you become a believer, as soon as you got baptized, then you're supposed to make disciples of all nations and you need to start baptizing people. That means that you need to share your faith. That means that you need to be able to live this kingdom lifestyle so they can say, who is it that you worship? And you could point them to Jesus. That's why I'm going to challenge you once again. And this is myself included, because it's really easy to be in this position and just kind of preach, but then not live out some of these things. So this is myself included in this challenge, but I want to challenge every single one of you. When was the last time you share the gospel with somebody who did not know Jesus Christ. If it doesn't burden you, it doesn't move you, you're comfortable with where you are because you have Christian friends that you can hang out with and sing Kumbaya, whatever song you want to sing. Tuhan. All I can say to you is, we've got to restudy the Bible. We've got to lay down a good foundation. Evangelism is not just for the people with evangelism gifts. It is every single believer. As soon as you become a Christian, you're supposed to share. You see this all throughout the gospel. That woman at the well, Jesus said, I am the living water. She dropped her water jar. What did she do? What was the first thing that she did? She went back to the village. She left her jars there. I would have been like, okay, Jesus, I'll be right back, you know, because I have to bring water. She left it there because she was completely flipped upside down. She goes and shares with the people in the village. Think about the people that were healed. That they started going back to their villages and sharing about this Jesus who healed them. They didn't know any theology. They didn't know how to do the live curriculum. They just knew that this is my story. I was blind, but now what? I see. Surely something must have happened. I don't know, man. Just I was blind. Now I see. I see you. And I don't want to see you now. But anyway, I see. 
And then the second part of how to disciple, not only baptize them, I want you to look at this. That we have to teach people to obey everything that God has commanded. In fact, in the ESV it says to observe. But in the NIV it says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If you could just give me just five minutes, because I'm going I'm to share this in a different sermon some other time, but I want to just connect some dots for you. Because right now I'm talking about foundations. And some of you need to grow, but you don't realize you really need to grow. Some of you think you're okay. And I'm telling you right now, some of you might not be. And unless it is exposed, unless someone speaks truth into your life, someone cares enough about you that they're even willing to risk you hating them. Unless you have those people in your life, some of you will never know until the day you die. And even when you die, you still won't know. To me, I think that's one of the saddest things. That you don't have anyone in your life that loves you enough to hurt you, to speak truth, even though you don't want to hear it. But it's the truth. I'm thankful that God places those people in my life. And sometimes I don't want to hear it. But it's good for me. I hope you have those people who love you enough because I know their hearts. They love me. They want to help me. They want me to get better. Good discipleship is helping people to obey God in his word. That is good discipleship. I might have shared this in other contexts. Some of us who I might spend more time with or I might have done a, a quick teaching on this, but I'm going to talk more about this later as we talk about foundations in the future. The goal, as I mentioned, is about loving God and loving people. And he now invites us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, sharing the gospel, but also teaching them to obey so one of the end goals of discipleship is that you're trying to help people to obey God. I know many of you are in discipleship relationships, mentoring relationship, and if you are not obeying God in His Word, then I guarantee you, I don't, know, I don't care who you are, you are not growing. Or you have to define what you mean by growth. Because if we're not obeying and growing in obedience to God, then you're, I would say your relationship is to some level, it could possibly be superficial. So here's the thing that I want us to think about. I believe that there are five, sometimes five different types of obedience. And I think many of us, and I, I will confess, I went through the, the cycle. There are five different types of obedience that I see when I counsel people, when I look at my own life, when I help other people walk through different issues in their life, there's five different obedience. And I want to tell you, four of them are bad, and one of them is good. I'll save the good for the last. The first one is sporadic obedience. It's just very inconsistent. And when you have sporadic obedience, that means that you only do it when you feel like it. And that is not the type of obedience that we see in Scripture. The second type is this, self-centered obedience which is simply whatever's good for me. And so if it's good for me, okay, I'll obey that. But no, I don't want to obey this because that's too hard. So many of us have self-centered obedience. So it looks like we're obeying, but we're not really obeying. 
because it's all about us. The third is selective obedience. Obeying only those things that are easy. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, Lord, heaven, I'm thinking about you. I obeyed your word today. How about forgiveness? The Bible talks a lot about that, and you haven't, you haven't forgiven. Bitterness. The Bible says if there's bitterness in your heart, you have let Satan come into your life. You have opened that door. So you are selective in what you obey. No wonder you haven't really grown that much over these past years. To me, I really believe genuine growth will overflow and people will be able to eat off the fruits that come out of That's why you're the kind of person that people just are blessed to be around. Because you're growing, the tree is growing, and there's fruits that are coming out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And these things are coming out of you. And so people are eating of your fruits, and they're just like, wow, it's awesome. Some of you have been in our church for I don't know how many years now. Our church is the eighth year anniversary. We're, We're in the ninth year now. Some of you have been in our church since freshman year in, our, in, in your, your uni years when you first came to Hong Kong. Now it's five years, six years, seven years. Some of you, eight years, because you were with us towards the beginning. And I want to challenge you. And my challenge to us is simply this. Where you were, maybe about four years ago, and where you are now, is there a difference do some of your close friends, do some of these people who are older, they've seen you when you were younger, but now they see you. Do they see a change in your life? And I'm telling you right now, if they do not, then it's probably because it's an issue of obedience. Just give me some time and let me build this up. The fourth one is not only selective, third one is selective obedience, but the fourth one is stipulated obedience. You only do things for God if he will do things for you. God, I'll read your word if you give me an A on that exam. God, I will stop talking to her if you just give me that promotion. God, I, I will pray with my family if my kid could get into that school. That is a stipulated, conditional obedience. And that is not the obedience that God desires. How do I know that? You look at the story of Saul and Samuel the prophet. When Samuel said, well, to completely kill the Amalekites. He goes, what is, he goes, I did obey. Then he goes, what is this bleeding of the lamb that I hear? Because you did not completely destroy everything. Those are all the bad news. Here's the good news. The one that God wants is a surrendered obedience. To fully and unconditionally trust in God. Some of us are sitting there, okay, here we go again. It's just all about doing. Let me just, let me just be clear. And let me use the Bible. I love using the Bible to back up what I say. Because you have to argue with God then. 
you will notice that every single disciple of Jesus Christ, their level of obedience is in direct proportionality to their love for God. Listen to me carefully. Every single disciple of Jesus Christ, their level of obedience, and hopefully we can get to the surrendered obedience, it is directly proportionate to their love for God. Oh, our purpose is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So before you get all crazy, let me go ahead and give you some verses. John chapter 14, verse 21, it says this in the New International Version. It says this, Whomever has my commands and what? Obeys them. He is what? The one who? The one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. There's something about having the commands, the truth, the word, and then obedience. And it's a direct proportion to the one who what? Loves me. When you obey God, it shows that you love him. Here's another verse, if you're not convinced yet. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Tra Translation. Read the yellow section with me. Loving God means what? Keeping His commandments. <laughs> That's why sometimes I like these translations. You could be like not very straight-A kind of person, but there's no misunderstanding. Loving God, hello, it means, just in case you don't know, it means keeping His commandments, which is obedience. And his commandments are not burdensome. Because when you love somebody, it is not burdensome. When someone you don't like says, can you take out the garbage? You're like, err. If you don't like your roommate, err. But if you deeply love somebody, you not only take out the garbage, you'll start sweeping everything and go, is there anything else I can do? If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then your level of obedience will be proportionate to your love for God. And there are so many things in Scripture that you and I, we know because we struggle. We know that it's clear. It's a command from God. But we do not want to obey because we love ourselves. We have all these stipulations. That we are sporadic in our obedience. We only will obey what's good for us and not what's good for the community, not what's good for his church, not what's good for the world. To be able to say, God, I will deny myself and I will surrender myself to you to obey you. Last verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 47, one of the best illustrations of this point that I'm trying to make. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That is the woman who was a sinful woman who came into Simon's home and she broke that alabaster jar of perfume because she was so grateful of God, Jesus' love for her that he, not only should she give a whole year's wage, but she was weeping, wiping his feet. And here's Jesus clearly saying, because her sins are many and she has been forgiven, she loves much. Why? Is this emphasis in our church so important and discipleship so important? 
It's because when we do these things, our foundations will be strong. We will be a church filled with people, not perfect, but people who want to obey God as best as they can. Apart from the grace of God, no one could obey, but we need Him. That's why the emphasis on LCG, the life change group, is so important. Because you don't have anyone in your life right now that can speak truth to you. That's why you go to church, do all the religious things, but no one can speak truth to you about areas of your life that might be in question. This is why I make every single leader, myself included, to be in these accountable relationships. We have to. That's why even those who are serving in SALT, in our servant training, leadership training program, we're making sure that they're part of LCG. You cannot grow apart from these things. Let me take that back. You can, but it will not be very deep. That's why we want to make disciples in our church. So from January 2024, so we have about like three more months, and then we're going to launch this fully. We're just prepping you for the next three months. From January 2024 until the end of December 2029, one area we're going to focus in on is foundation. And so we have set two goals under foundation. The first goal is 80% of our members going through the DMF curriculum. Something like DM who? DMF, Disciple Making Framework. Something like, I've never heard of that. Where is that? We haven't made it yet. We have components of it, but we're going to make it into a curriculum, just like what we did for our lives. And so we're going to give you a, a curriculum of how to be a disciple and follower of Christ because we believe that this foundational aspect is so important. Like I said, if you don't want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't want to be a disciple, you don't even care, you want to live your own life, it's going to be very difficult for you for the next six years. If you want to grow, you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to grow in your obedience because you love Him because so much of what He has done for you, God, my whole life is yours then I'm going to tell you right your heart is going to be set on fire. You're going to be lit. Like literally and metaphorically like saying the cool word, okay? You're going to be lit. It's going to be on fire. So that's one of our goals. By the end of six years, end of December 2029, we want to see 80% of our church we understand there's going to be some people who will leave, some people who will graduate and move back home, but we'll always get new people, so we want to keep this number. Now, some people, there were some people who were like, Pastor, that's a little bit too high. <laughs> that means that you guys are okay with like 40% not following Christ. I wanted to go 100, but sometimes I go a little crazy, so I have to settle down because I have to live in reality. And this is how I... As we were coming up with some numbers, some people were saying 75% or 70%. And the reason why I picked 80 is because in the business world, there's something called the Pareto Principle, which says 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% to whatever that is. 
I want to flip this thing around. I want 80% of our church learning how to make a disciple so we can literally transform the world. So 80% by the end of 2029, we want to see people going through this disciple-making framework curriculum. Another goal that we have set forth is 75% of members in our church. Once again, it should be 100 because that's what the Bible says, but reality sets in. Hardness of heart, a lot of other stuff. So 75% of our members discipling one other person. I pray that God will lead you to one person that you can disciple. Some people say, can I disciple a pre-Christian? Of course you can. You disciple them into the kingdom. Some of you, I understand maybe you had different negative experiences, whatever the case, then you study the Bible, whatever you see in the Bible, do it. That'll be the key. So once again, the foundation that we're going to focus on for the next six years is we want to see 80% of our church go through the DMF that we're going to create. We already have the components, but we're going to put it together like a curriculum. And then we want to see at least 70, about three, three-fourths of our church members at least discipling one person. If we can do this, we will transform. We will fill Hong Kong with the, we will saturate it with the knowledge of the glory of God. Think about it. Just in this room alone, if 75% of you is discipling one other person, we have 150. And if everyone else, 150 years, is able to do that, we got 300, 600, and the goals on and on. I want to close with the impact. This is a little bit shorter. Let me put it this way. If we're going to saturate Hong Kong with the knowledge of the glory of God, and as we live out this kingdom lifestyle, and as we proclaim the gospel message, we're going to make more disciples who will love God, serve Him, worship Him, obey Him. And they're from all nations. And we're going to be able to reach Hong Kong, Asia, and the globe. Then what we have to ask ourselves is where do we start? Not only the foundation, but this is the part that has to be first. This is the core. This this is what's needed. Once you get this and you commit to this, then it's going to spill over to the people that you are around. This is the reason why I believe one of the best ways to accomplish impact and to live out your calling as a Christ follower, I believe, is in the life group context. Let me give you a couple of reasons why. The life group is set up as a mini church, or in our language, we've been using a micro church. If there's any gathering in our church that's one of the most important, that's foundational for us, is life group. Because think about when you come here on Sunday. You sing some songs, you hear a message, you might pray a little bit, and afterwards, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? That's your Christian life. Not what you're going to eat, but, you know, it's just that two-hour service, and then you guys fellowship, and then that's it. To me, this is not a good representation of what I would like to see a church to be. Well, first of all, let's just be honest here. In the next five to ten years, we might not even be able to worship freely. Who knows? Things are changing so drastically all over the world. 
So we might not even be able to gather on a Sunday like this. But we can sure gather together in each other's apartments or different places. That's why I'm a firm believer that if you do life groups well, I've, I've been saying this to all the leaders, if we can do life group well, that, that is a seed for a church to get started. That is a seed for a church to get started. If we do the life groups well, that we're practicing the one another's, loving one another, being devoted to one another, forgiving each other, serving one another, all the one another's. We do this week after week. We grow together. We keep each other accountable. We challenge each other in areas of obedience. I'm telling you right now, that small little seed of something called a life group or a micro church, it will grow into something expansive. And you're going to have to start multiplying. This is the reason why, if you look at Acts chapter 2, you know this passage well. I want to read it from the message translation so that it will, not, I'm not saying it's going to dummy it down, but it just helps you to think about it in a very colloquial and everyday life. Listen to what it says. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe, all those wonders and signs done by the apostles. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful. I pray that that, that would happen this afternoon. Wherever you guys are going to go eat. As they praised God, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Chapter 4. As we move forward, two chapters, verse 32. The whole congregation of believers were united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine. You can't have it. They shared. My thing went blank. All right, well, praise the Lord. Okay, where, where are we? They, they shared everything. Thank you. They sh- Whoa. The arrow. Okay. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of Master Jesus, and grace was on them, all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed according to each person's needs. Oh, praise the Lord. God knew that I I would get totally lost. All right. When you talk about impact, especially with people's lives, and even talk about impact in a society or a neighborhood or a village, whatever you want to call it, where are most of the majority of the salvations happening? Okay, I'm going to go A or B, all right? So you guys, are most of the salvation happening on these big gatherings on Sunday or is it in life group? You guys, are, you guys are all raising your hand. Such nice people. You would have been like, it's B! It's the second one. Let me ask again a different question. Where are all the community relationship building and friendships, where do they come from? Okay, thank you. 
And most of the spiritual growth is coming from? Life group. I, well, I hope so. Some of you are like, nope, not in life group. <laughs> I think one of the major reasons why some people struggle in life group is because of the messiness of being in community with imperfect people. But I'm going to say this to you. Life group is the place, the micro church is the place where you have to confront your issues. Life group is a place where you just can't consume, but you have to contribute. Sundays, you can consume and not contribute. Sundays, you could come here and your life not being touched because you haven't opened up with some of the pain that's in your heart. But in life group, you can I don't know how many life groups I've been part of where people are in huddle groups and there's somehow, we talk about something, it touched the core, they start sharing and weeping and we just pray for them. I don't know how many times where we just close out at the end and as we're sharing, we just open up the floor for people who want to share if there's any prayer requests and they open up and share and they pray. Powerful times. And the reality is some of you in this room have yet to experience this. And if we're going to seriously not only build up the foundation, but we're going to try to impact our neighborhoods, our cities, our different groups of people, I think one of the best ways is through a micro church. It's a church, but in a smaller scale. So there's relationships that are being built. If you could just give me a couple minutes. I saw this video and it really like light bulbs turned off or excuse me, turned on. I wanted to watch it in the dark. I was like, wow. Some of you know the late Tim Keller, who's, uh, who was a pastor in uh, New York. If there's anything he contributed to this generation, it's not only his incredible mind. He was like the, like the modern-day C.S. Lewis for me. Incredible man. Such a, such a great, brilliant mind. But I would say his contribution is the importance of the gospel in not only people's lives, but in society. I want, to, I want you to watch this for a couple minutes because he says something in here, in this video. I think it was part of a sermon or some kind of presentation, so they just kind of got a snippet of it. That I believe is one of the major problems in the church today. And I'm going to take it one step further, even at the risk of offending some of you. I would say what he preaches in here, what he shares in here, because some of us have not really understood it, this is one of the reasons why you have a lot of issues in your life. This is not something you just know this cognitively and your life has changed. You have to literally internalize it, constantly keep your heart at check. Every morning you wake up, every time you go to work, every single time you go to school, you have to ask yourself, where is my identity? I pray that it will minister to you. And then I just want to give you the goals and then a couple next steps and let's end it here. So let's go ahead and watch this together. If you can get that, it will change your life. The reason why we have so many problems in this world the reason why in your life group you struggle 
the reason why you come into this church and you struggle is exactly what he's talking about. Your identity is not in Christ. It's about performance. That's why you always have to look good, do something, do more. If you could just internalize this truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. And I, I, yes, I could preach on it. I could keep on saying this over the pulpit. You could sit there and then receive it. But I'm telling you right now, there is no better context than to understand what he just preached than in a life group context. Because you have people who love you, who care for you, where you could say, I am tired. I'm tired of trying to perform. I'm tired of trying to keep up with all this stuff. And I just, I cannot do it. And people then pray for you. They love on you. And you break that sin. And you start obeying God, not because of what you try to earn, but because of how much he loved you and how much he has forgiven you. It will change your life. It will change your life group. It will change the community that you are a part of. You will live with a great exuberant joy. You'll see how beautiful and awesome Jesus and this message of the cross is. It's not just a Sunday school thing, but it will be so deeply hit you so hard that you are loved, that you are forgiven, loved, accepted, cherished, and known by God. It will flip your life upside down. But here we are. We have a bunch of Christians who come out to church every single Sunday, who know this stuff in here, but hasn't allowed it to go here, because you do not have a group of people who can speak truth to you. From January 2024 all the way to the end of December of 2029. Some of you are like, why 2029? Because 2030 is an even number. I don't know. It looks, we'll start something new. Which, by the way, 2033 is a two millennia of Jesus' death. So I'm just like, we'll come up with a three-year thing to usher in Jesus' 2,000 year. Partly it's because we need time to build this up. And six years seems like a pretty good time. Here are the two goals that we want to set under this. So do you remember the two goals for the foundation? 80% going through DMF, 75% of every single member in our church, 75% of us, discipling one person. For the impact, because we believe so much in the life group and the micro churches, we are praying in the next six years that we will have a total of 20 campus micro churches. So you're like, whoa. But before you, whoa, too much, listen. We currently have nine university life groups or micro churches. Right now, nine. So if you do the math, that's just pretty much doubling it. That means that hopefully you'll have one more life group in six years. If you don't, then that life group or that campus is going to die. Also, we have two universities we haven't reached out to, Lingnan and the Education University of Hong Kong. We want to reach all eight. So we're praying that there will be 20 campus micro churches. And then for the city, we're praying for 10. And before you go, whoa, you should be like, whoa, whoa, yes. 
Right now, there are three focused life groups, single adults. And there's a quasi two covenant group, one men, one women. And what I mean by quasi is that we're still trying to figure out how to do this because we're in a different life stage. It gets busy and we're just trying to figure this out. And so if there's five now and we want to see 10, so the next five to six years, we're praying that we will be able to multiply double the amount of microchurches. So can I just ask us, what do we do now as we think about the vision? First of all, just assess the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I here? If it's not for the vision, I'm telling you right now, it's for something else. Maybe you have friends here. Maybe you like this one person. I'm telling you right now, that is not a good enough reason. You're not going to agree with everything we do. But I do pray that it was because of the vision that you are here. Second is address your issues with the gospel. Just like what you're, if you, if you need a, if you need the link to that, I'll give that to you. Or talk to your leaders. I will send it out to the leaders and, and, and they'll send it out to you. Address your issues with the gospel. You will never change unless the gospel becomes so deeply embedded in who you are. Third, allocate resources for your growth. You're going to have to make some commitment time, energy, whatever it takes. Allocate those resources so that you can grow. You might have to get up 30 minutes early to read the Bible. You might have to carve out some time and say, I'm going to take this DMF once it's made. I want to sign up for it. I want to learn how to become a disciple. I want to know how to disciple others. I want to commit to life group. I want to show up every single week so that I could, I could be a part of what God is doing. Because you've got to allocate some of those resources, your time, energy, whatever it is, so that you can experience this impact in your life. And lastly, ask people to invest in you. Can I just also just make a, a side comment on this? Some of you who are new to our church are very young. There's nothing wrong to ask people to invest in you because you want to grow. But there will come a time where you need to start investing in other people because there will be new people coming in who don't know Jesus. There will be new people coming in who, who still need to obey God. I pray that those of us who have been with our church, you, you know what we're about. You know, we're not hard to find. You, you, know, you know who we are. And that's why I want to challenge you if you've been with our church for some time. You're going to have to make a decision. Or it's going to be a miserable six next six years for you. You're going to have to make a decision. What kind of life do I want to see myself living? Six years from now. Ten years from now. Twenty years from now. I hope that you will be a disciple of Jesus who loves God, loves people. Hear that clarion call of making disciples of all nations. And you will do everything possible with this gospel message that has transformed your life, that you want to change the world. This is who we are. This is what we're about. And I pray that we will participate in this. You will not offend me if some of you decide this is not the church. I do pray that you will find at least a church that you will stop hopping around and stay there, be rooted in there, grow. Because there's no perfect church. 
If you find one, then you should stop going because you're going to mess that up. I'm telling you right now, there is no perfect church because we're imperfect people trying to do community and try to do the will of God. So you might like this part, but then after a while, you might not anymore. Then you're going to go to another church and you like this part, but then you're not going to like this. And you're going to be a spiritual orphan. Be a part of God's family in a local context. Grow through the stages of life. Do life together. And reach people around you. Different families, different co-workers, colleagues, different students around you. Reach people who are even marginalized. And experience life together. And I'm telling you right now, your life will never be the same. And I pray that that will be the impact. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.